This is Robert Picardo, the holographic doctor from Star Trek Voyager, and Richard Woolsey from Stargate Atlantis. This is Vanessa Angel. This is Maris Ray. This is Christopher Heyerdahl. This is Clifton Collins Jr. This is Mally from Dollhouse. This is Alastair, and you're you're just listening to the sweet and tasty sounds of the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Live long. And Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 48. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog, and with me is... Hello, this is Miles P. McLaughlin. Miles P. McLaughlin. It is good to see you again, Miles. It's great to be doing these shows live again. I know, in person, and I know we did some at the end of the old year, but here, this is our first episode in the new year. What's well, a great way to bring in the new year? Yeah, our last episode, oh man, a lot of people loved the Miracle Laurie interview. Got a lot of good feedback about that. But we actually recorded that at the end. Didn't we record that before Christmas? We did. We and, did. And we recorded it on Skype too. Yeah, so it was, it's, it's just great to be here. It is. So I, I, I'm glad. I'm and we're glad that you're here joining us at the diner tonight. We are going to serve up some delicious food for you. That's for sure. A lot of good stuff happening in sci-fi. Yeah, gr- some good stuff on the plate. Mm-hmm. How, how far can we push the adage of the diner tonight? <laughs> yeah. Um, on tonight's menu, talking about pushing the old saying here, uh, on tonight's menu, on this science fiction podcast, we will be interviewing Star Trek novelist and all-around best-selling novelist David Allen Mack, giving away two of his novels, by the way. We're going to be talking about Battlestar Galactica, The Plan, even though it's been out. I finally saw it. Miles is leaping for joy over here. I won't describe that to you. Um, finally, we are getting more of Firefly. And what do you mean we're getting a fifth season of Heroes? NBC's Day One literally becomes Day One. Sam Raimi tucks in Spider-Man 4 and says, night-night to it. Avatar once again makes James Cameron the king of the world, and Defying Gravity and Gamer are, are out on DVD. Do we care? We're going to share our thoughts with you. Hmm. So that's a good menu, isn't it? Yes, it is. A lot of good stuff. We have Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and oh, so much goodness oozing through the show tonight. Miles, before we head into our main show here, let's, let's give some appetizers out. We typically start with our show news, and so why don't we do that? Miles, take it away. Well, uh, we have to look forward to in um, less than a month uh, the, the Farpoint Convention. Uh, so if uh, any of our listeners are going to be there, uh, please let us know. We could, we'd love to le- meet you, and um, we'll put a link in the show. But, uh, yeah, uh, email us or put a comment that, that you're going to be there. And, um, yeah, I'd love, love to meet you guys. And David Allen Mack's going to be there, right? David Allen Mack's going to be there. Uh, Dayton Ward's going to be there. Is he going to be at Farpoint? I believe so. 
Maybe he doesn't know this yet, but he's going to be at Farpoint. So Dayton, if you're listening to this, just be aware you're going to be there. <laughs> all right? Yeah, you know, if you didn't know at the time, Dayton, you're gonna be there. You, you know it now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and Kevin, you too. You're gonna be yeah, there. You Televixen, you're coming to Farpoint. Right. Yep. Exactly. And, and uh, Miracle, you're gonna be there. But <laughs> um, also in show news, I I, in, I recently got into the closed beta. Now the open beta of Star Trek Online. And let me tell you about my experience with that, Miles. Please tell it's me. been uh, sitting behind my computer waiting for the updates to download and getting distracted and not actually playing the game. Uh, it's too bad. I know. But, hey, listeners, if you are actually – if you guys are actually playing the Star Trek Online, let us know your thoughts and are into the beta of it. It comes out in the beginning of February. February 2nd, I think, is a release for it. Yes. And so it's coming out very soon. But if you're in on the beta, we want to know your thoughts of it. So let us know. We're also going to be doing some retrospectives as we've been touting the past couple episodes. Our first one is going to be in Farscape, it seems to be. And we're going to have Kevin Batchelder from the Scapecast, uh, a Farscape podcast, unless it makes sense, to have him on the show talking about it. If you have any questions about Farscape or any comments that you want to make about Farscape, let us know. That's probably going to happen sometime in the beginning of February. We were trying to get one in here in January, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Oh, man. Also, we are going to be doing our Sci-Fi 5 in 5, and Miles if you, is going to be doing one at the end of the show, aren't you? I, yes, I do. I have my, fu- my top five. Top five, what, movies of the decade? Yep. So we're going to be doing that. If you haven't stayed tuned till the very end of the show, jump to the end of the show, listen to the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and you know, give us your own Sci-Fi 5 and 5, and we'll be talking about that a little bit more later on. Three last things before we get out of show news. I've been on three other podcasts, Miles, other than just the Sci-Fi Diner. So t- tell us about it. Yeah, well, we have postca- – the, the most recent one was Podcasters Emporium. Now, we had David Gray on to talk about Avatar mm-hmm. uh, just a few weeks ago. Great guy. And, and David Gray, uh, along with James Williams, they do a podcast called Podcasters Emporium. Now, if you are a podcaster listening to the show – this is a show for you, for podcasters. And uh, what they did was actually – I was on there with uh, Tim Noonan, who is a vocal coach. Hmm. It's quite an interesting show. I don't – that episode is not out yet, but uh, it will probably be one of their – it will probably be the episode that's coming out I'm gathering this week maybe sometime. Uh, maybe by the time this episode is out, our episode is out, it will be out. So check it out. I also was a part of the Geek Squared podcast, a dollhouse roundtable that I recorded mm-hmm. uh, with the guys from Geek Squared. And uh, we were just kind of talking all about dollhouse. So it was kind of a great tribute to that. And lastly, um, on Thursday, if you are a Fringe fan, you really got to be checking out Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. And I'll be putting links to all these podcasts in our show notes so you can check it out at the podcast, uh, pod, com. That no, too. Yeah, too. But at the sci-fi diner podcast.com, we'll have links to all these things in the show and, uh, you can check them out. I do a segment for a fringe casting with Wayne and Dan. I do a fringe quote of the week. So I'm there. So I'm involved in a lot of other podcasts and just does, it seems like. You're a busy guy. I am. Hmm. Yeah. And not to mention, I do another one with my students called the fireside book chats. So all student run. So, sort of student run. I mean, I'm involved. I'm involved. I'm involved. Your presence is felt on the web. Uh, I thought I was going to say a stench to everyone, but maybe not. I was going to say that. Yeah, Miles, move away. Move <laughs> away. 
Move back from the microphone. Okay, Miles, uh, let's move into our trivia for this week. We have really good trivia with some really good prizes. Yes, and um, we haven't had a, a trivia in a while, but uh, we do today. Fans, you're really going to have to think hard on this one. Um, what, do, what does Star Trek Voyager, Battlestar Galactica, and Heroes all have in common? And the answer is, well... We're going to wait on that. We'll see if you know. Yeah, we're going to see if you know that. And uh, we're going to give you two weeks to do this trivia. And and what are the, and what, what are the prizes here? Well, since we had the uh, opportunity to speak with uh, Dave Mack, we're going to give a copy of Star Trek A Mirror Universe, The Stars of the Empire, and uh, Star Trek A Vanguard Precipice. Uh, and I'm uh, reading a, a Vanguard uh, Precipice right now. And a uh, very good book. Very, you know, it's... Um, if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll like. If you like spy thrillers, it takes a couple different genres and put it in a Star Trek novel. So it's so an a, interesting book, even if you're not a Star Trek fan? Yes, it has something for everybody. Very cool. Well, if you know the answer to our trivia for this week, you can call us at 1-888-508-4343 or email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com. And uh, that'll get it in. Well, before we go into our news, let's go. Let's go ahead and head into our first promo this evening. We have a promo from Trekcast. Tell us about Trekcast a little bit. Uh, uh, Trekcast is a, uh, a podcast devoted to uh, all things Star Trek. A great podcast. Uh, David Thomas uh, Ivy and uh, Darren Benjamin are the hosts of that show. Uh, great, gr- great guys. They have um, uh, Alicia, uh, Dave's wife, is on there too. Uh, so is Jared Formby, who does the uh, his uh, blog, uh, Hey Star Trek. Very enjoyable, fun um, podcast. I encourage, if you like Star Trek, you got to listen to this podcast. You know, it's like, hey, I still got a little Star Trek in me. I'm built on mid-21st century civilian clothing. Well, next time you see a guy that looks like Wolverine, poke me. Highball and cocktail. Highball cocktail. Oh, God. This is getting bad. Trekcast, the Star Trek podcast, www.trekcast.com. Listen to Trekcast, it'll save your virtual life. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sci Fi Diner. It is now news time. And uh, we're going to go ahead and do our Sci Fi 10, 10 at 10, mm-hmm. where we do 10 minutes of of science fiction TV news, 10 minutes of of movie news and 10 minutes of DVD. And we might air on going a little bit longer in some of those and shorter in the others. But that's about our plan at least, right, Miles? We shoot for that. We shoot for perfection. Mm-hmm. Well, we try at least. Um, anyways, let's start off with some TV news. Miles, I finally saw the plan. Battlestar Galactic of the plan. Great. Well, your thoughts. Yeah, it's about time, right? That was your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had this on my Netflix for the longest time, mm-hmm. and you know, it's still there. It's still on waiting. I'm on a long wait for Battlestar Galactic the plan. That's amazing. Now, either that tells you how popular it is, or it tells you how few copies they ordered, <laughs> something in there. Yeah. But I finally got to see it when they aired it on Sci-Fi this past weekend. And let me tell you, if you were a BSG fan, this was an episode you had to had to watch. It felt like I was coming home to family. Yeah, it I'd really agree. did because. I grew to love these characters over four seasons, mm-hmm. and I grew to kind of see them again. It may be a different light, uh, obviously the spin, the Cylon spin things, but I felt like I was visiting a familiar ship, mm-hmm. really, you know, kind of visiting a home that I had stayed with and lived at for a very long time. And um, I liked, I liked it. Now, granted, 
this was not for the casual BSG watcher. It, you really had to watch all four seasons. Um, if you watched just expecting, ooh, I'm going to watch BSG the movie, you would be disappointed because it was very disjointed. Uh, it, like if you would have watched that three, three, like, huh, huh, what are they referring to? No, this is not. If you want to get uh, a friend into BSG, don't give them this to start out with. You need, no. yeah, you got to give them. You have to, you know, you have to be a fan already to appreciate this. Yeah, and you know, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I did love it. Um, <clears throat> not as good as the series, mm-hmm. but it was certainly a great um, sidekick to the series, for the lack of a better term. I liked it. So, Miles, yeah. what was your thoughts? I, I liked it. I didn't love it. I have to confess. Um, I don't know. Like, like you said, it was disjointed. Um, there's things I wish they would have explored more with the Cylons. Um, and maybe this would have been a tall, tall order of just how the Cylons went from robotic form to their human form. Um, maybe when the final five met up with them, but it, it just felt, some things just felt a little rushed when they mm. did it. Um, well, you're, you're cramming like, Three years of uh, three seasons into one, because in season four they actually join up, and that's where this ends. Is when the Cylons join up with the humans, right? Mm-hmm. Right when they actually make the truce, and that happens in season four. So this takes us up to season four, but three seasons three seasons is a lot to cram into one epi- like like a two hour episode. Yeah, and this was a bonus episode for the fans. It, it was. It was really for the fans, and that, mm-hmm. that's a great way of putting it, Miles. Mm-hmm. And I love it. If you watched uh, the plan, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But but you know, I liked it. It was great to visit again, and it makes sense that they're airing it now because you know, two weeks from now we have Caprica airing the twenty second of January. It's on my TiVo already. I'm ready for Caprica. I need to make sure my DVR is set to start recording it. Are you excited about Caprica? I am. Um, I, I liked the um, the DVD movie they put out. Um, Almost a year ago now, yeah, and um, it, it's it's going to be slightly different than than BSG, but there'll be some things familiar about it. Um, and so it's going to be Ron Moore and and uh, David Icke are producing it, so it should be good. I'm looking for the same deep stories that we had that allowed us to kind of figure things out. If they tell the stories the way they told it on Battlestar Galactica, I think I'll like the show. Yeah, and, and interesting characters, um, and the idea of showing how the Cylons uh, were. Got their beginning, I think will be be good. Hey, it has the potential, that's for sure. It has the potential. Mm-hmm. Yep, certainly does. All right, well, let's uh, move into our next piece of news. Miles, go ahead. Firefly fans, good news for you. Uh, Firefly will live on in a new book of uh, short stories. So uh, uh, Joss Whedon's beloved Firefly, Serenity, is long gone, but you can't stop the signal. Fans can look for more adventures of Captain uh, Mal Reynolds and the crew that uh, uh, Doe's ship in, um, in a sh- series of short stories coming soon. From Titan Books, uh, writer producer Jane Espenson, who wrote one episode of the Fox Sci-Fi series, but as a longtime friend and colleague of Whedon's, going back to her days on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, said that uh, she'll be writing one of the stories centering on the characters of uh, Kaylee and, and, and Wash. Obviously, this will be set in a time period before the events of Serenity. I'm writing a short story set in the Firefly universe that someone's uh, putting together. Espenson said in an interview on Sunday in Pasadena, California, where she was promoting her upcoming uh, sci-fi series, Caprica. Uh, Titan Books is putting together a collection of written uh, by various uh, Firefly authors. So, um, 
Espenson's uh, Firefly episode uh, was uh, Shindig, the fourth uh, episode of the series, which deals with a uh, society dance and a duel. It's best loved by fans for Kaylee's appearance in an over-the-top uh, uh, flouncy uh, ruffled uh, dress. Espenson is, a, is an executive producer of Caprica, uh, the Battlestar Galactica prequel series, which debuts uh, uh, on the Sci-Fi Channel at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern, uh, January 22nd. Yeah, which we, of course, mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of cool to see more stories coming out of the Firefly universe. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're not – I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if they put it in comic book or book form, I'm there. Um, there's, there. There's still so much to explore. There's so many stories still to tell in that there's universe. There's still so, so much potential in that universe. Yeah. I'm really glad you're coming out with a book, too. This makes me excited. Mm-hmm. Like, what if they were to start an entire expanded universe, just like they've done with Star Trek and Star Wars? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is quite the following, but but it is certainly an excellent series to do that with. R- right. I think I think Joss Whedon wrote a very uh, rich, interesting uh, universe uh, that, where Firefly took place, in, and um, the, I, I think I think the fans, you know, will probably dig it. They'll, yeah. they'll buy the books. And Shindig, that was a good episode. That was the episode with the duel. That was the episode with the duel. And it, one, one thing I remember, this this is not any sci-fi show most of us have seen. The cargo at the end was uh, all these cows. They were hauling, yeah. you know, they were hauling a herd of cows. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. so. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. Yes. So I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other news, uh, NBC's Sci-Fi Day One shrinks again. Now it's just a movie. Now, we talked about this a long time ago. We were anticipating this being a great series coming in mid-season. However, NBC has made day one exactly that, day one. This this really psyched me, the concept. Do you remember seeing the trailer? We had watched a trailer together in that. Very interesting. It was an interesting premise. First, it was a show. Then it was a one-season show. And then it became a miniseries. Now it's just a TV movie. All they're going to do is show us the pilot miles, and and basically they're going to be showing it during prime time somewhere in March, I believe. Basically, here's what uh, uh, Angela Bromstead, president of Primetime Entertainment of NBC and Universal Media Studios, said: Day one is going to air in a two-hour movie. We looked after we looked at it after V launched and after Flash Forward launched with a strong initial thing. We didn't want to come on after that. As we sat down with executive producer Jesse Alexander and talked about more than mythology. There was just concern about sustaining that. Uh, Brown said added the day one movie will consist of the pilot that was originally shot. They didn't just shoot any additional footage. We've only shot the two hour premiere. Bromstead said it'll be a pilot where you could see where it could go in a series, but there will be a resolve at the end of the two hours. There is still hope for continuing the story. If a standalone movie version is a hit. Absolutely, she said. If it performs, absolutely. She has not scheduled day one yet. So we don't know when that's going to be out. But my question for you is, didn't BSG originally start out as a two-hour movie? And then it came in series. It, it was a two-part series, yeah. aired A two-part I, movie, right? Yeah, I'm trying, I don't, yeah, back in 2003. I don't remember if it was a Friday, Saturday, but um, it was a huge hit. Huge hit. Mm-hmm. And then, boom. That developed into the actual series. Right. So it wasn't until that happened that we got mm-hmm. the series Battlestar, which went on for four years mm-hmm. um, and had a break in there. But four years, basically, it ran four seasons. Mm-hmm. And so maybe our hope is that this turns into a Battlestar Galactica. I, I think from the premise, they have 
what could make for an interesting show. Um, and I'm trying to think the, it was on Fox over the summer, the show that, uh, it was, a, it was a Ron D. Moore production. Of uh, uh, virtuosity or virtu- virtuality or something like that. Yeah. And maybe that's a smart test way to test the show. If you, you air the first part and. Especially if you're uncertain about it. Right. If you don't think the fans are going to. Yeah, I mean, seriously, from a television studio point of view, you you have to say, well, what makes sense? Mm -hmm. Am I going to shell out millions and millions of dollars to build this show for a year and have it fail? Or am I going to just do a test show and see see how fans react to it? If they really rally around it, that's the show we do. Exactly. I mean, these sci-fi shows are very expensive to produce. And if you you can test it with a miniseries type thing, that's a smart marketing move and smart, you know, just to move all in all. Yeah. Miles, are you still watching Heroes? I still am. You know, I am not. I actually stopped in November because I just ran out of time to watch everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you are because we have some great hero news here for you tonight. Cool. So tell us about it. Well, NBC is leaving the door open for more heroes. Uh, so the question is, is Heroes doomed? The once flagship series ratings have dropped and its fans have slammed the show's meandering plots and confusing character arcs in recent seasons. But NBC executive producer Angela Bromstad The said, same girl from the last news article we did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Said no decision has been made on the show's fifth season and added that the network will hear a pitch from creator Tim Kring after making one. It's standard practice for the show's runners to pitch for a season renewal, Bromstad added. They always do, she said. Should this season be Heroes Last, the season finale will serve as the series finale. But since the show has already wrapped production on its current fourth season, there won't be time to add anything. No, they're out of production, Bromstead said. They've wrapped production. Of course, Bromstead couldn't say where the season finale would leave the Heroes in any event. I can't give anything away on the Heroes finale. She did confirm that, that if she renews Heroes, the show can continue to operate on its current budget without any more cuts. Actually, Heroes has already been very responsible in having a good budget, so I don't think that uh, we'd be looking at cutting it further, she said. So keeping up with this season, does this excite you? Um, I'm going to There's say – pause there. <laughs> yeah, I mean because with, with Heroes, it's hit and miss. But I will say this. I, I thought the last two episodes were good. Um, the, the, the last episode they had with um, – uh, Kate Vernon, and then the week before that, it was a two, it was a two hour episode. Some people might say, "Did it really need two hours?" I, I still enjoyed it, and I'm still being entertained by it. So um, may, maybe I'm easier to please than some people. I don't know, but um, um, no, I, 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 I I'm still interested in what they're going to do. This still the whole the whole carnival plot. See what's where that's going. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do hope it keeps going. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I mean this this show has had its ups and downs and, mm-hmm. and I've watched it more seriously sometime than, than other times. And I'm not obviously a serious watcher right now of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, the one of the things I just got done watching transporter three mm-hmm. and in it, the guy that plays Samuel mm-hmm. is, is a bad guy. Oh, okay. He was one of my favorite characters this season when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. How has he continued to be, continue to be his old evil kind of self, you know, behind the background? Yes. However, he does put on the good facade about, um, you know, he's trying to get more people into this family sort of thing. Right. And, and so he, you know, although he does seem dark and mysterious, there is something welcoming about him as far as uh, people 
the yeah. people who, who have powers consider um, coming on. So, so can, can the show pull through a fifth season? I was surprised it's pulled, you know, a fourth season. But um, but they, they they seem to come up with a new interesting uh, plot thread, like this whole carnival thing they t- that we didn't see before. So we should have looked up how many viewers it's pulling in right now to see, you know. How is this compared to Dollhouse? I think it was pulling in more more viewers than Dollhouse was, mm-hmm. but but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think they could probably pull something interesting for for another season. Well, let's talk about some movie news before we run out of time. Here, we've spent a good fifteen minutes in TV news, which is absolutely fine. Again, mm-hmm. there's no really agenda, no real agenda here, even though we kind of said there's one. Um, let's move on to some movie news. We talked about Avatar a few weeks ago with Dave Gray. Avatar is continuing to rock the box office. No question about it. Avatar still is raking it in. It's now second only to the Titanic, which who did Titanic? James Cameron. Who did Avatar? James Cameron. Who's king of the world? James Cameron. James Cameron. The answer is James Cameron to all of them. James Cameron's Avatar is top the box office fourth straight weekend (laughs) in a row, taking in an estimated $48.5 $48.5 million domestically to become the top domestic film hit of 2009. The domestic tally for the sci-fi epic show is now $429 million, placing it sixth among domestic hits, the Associated Press reported. Worldwide, Avatar is now taking in about $1.34 billion, second only to Cameron's Titanic at $1.8 billion. That's only the fourth week out, Miles. There's that, a good chance he can catch that. That's incredible. Yeah, that's pretty freaking amazing. Yeah. Daybreakers, meanwhile, opened up fourth place with $15 million, which just looks like nothing compared <laughs> to Avatar when you look at Avatar's number. This is pretty incredible. The comments from hands down, I mean, Jay, you know, uh, Dave, you and I kind of reviewed that and looked mm-hmm. at an honest look about it. Mm-hmm. But hands down, the reviews coming out of this movie, people love it. People love it. It's a good feel-good movie. I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you can analyze it, and but it, it has a definite, definite bad guy, definite good guy, and you know, you, you, it's this would I mean. In fact, that's making doesn't matter when it's playing, but it reminds me of a summer feel-good movie. It is, and yeah. it and it was it's fun to see in December to mm-hmm. see this come out, and and we get an Avatar too. I don't know if you saw that, but he's talking about Avatar too. Why not? I mean, if this if this movie is making this kind of money, I mean, uh, uh, is this James Cameron's next franchise? Maybe, maybe, maybe it is. Terminator's gone. Now it's let's do this. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, take us into Spidey. We have some interesting Spidey news that broke this week, didn't we? Actually, it broke yesterday and today as we're recording this. This this blew my mind when I saw this. Um, uh, Spidey Four's dead. Raimi and McGuire out. So we have a reboot uh, coming. So it um, seems like the problems hanging up with Spider-Man 4 are more serious than previously reported. Nikki, uh, thanks, Deadline Hollywood is now reporting that director Sam Raimi and his entire cast, led by Tobey Maguire, have dropped out and that Sony Pictures will reboot the series with a new director and new cast for 2012. Raimi could now move on to his proposed World of Warcraft movie or a film based on Dennis Lehane's The Given Day. Uh, so Peter Parker is going back to high school when the next Spider-Man hits theaters in the summer of two, uh, 2012. And this is the new premise, right? Yeah. New premise. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell us about it. Well, a decade ago, we set out on this journey with Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire, and together we made three Spider-Man films that set a new bar for the genre. 
When we began, no one has ever imagined that we would make history at the box office, and now we have a rare opportunity to make that history once again with this franchise. Peter Parker, as an ordinary young adult grappling with extraordinary powers, have always been the foundation that has made this character so times compelling for generations of fans. We're very excited about the creative possibilities that come from returning to, to Peter's roots. And we look forward to working once again with uh, Marvel Studios, uh, Avi Arad, uh, Laura Ziskin, on this new beginning, said Amy Pascal, co-director, co-chairman of uh, Sony uh, Pictures Entertainment. Wait, Miles, isn't this like Smallville? It, it, it sounds like it, doesn't it? It doesn't. It. The, the way they're describing it, you know, a superhero now in high school, you know, working for the torch, or I mean the newspaper as a photographer. I mean, this, there's some similarities. There, there's definitely parallels, yes. And if we're dealing with teen issues, the only difference is they're looking at this for the big screen. Exactly. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, will I go see it? Yeah, I'll probably go see it. Um but it just seems like everybody's going crazy with the the, the reboot thing, um, and and not allowing a lot of time in between. I mean, I, it wasn't that long ago that the first Spider-Man movie came out. Yeah, I remember it. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I, you know, it's been probably ten ten years. That it doesn't seem like it's been that long. No, ago. no, because I remember, I remember that the first Spider-Man movie, that what happened was it came out right before two thousand. In one, because that because they had the initially they had the web between the World Trade Centers. You're right, I remember that. And uh, they had to reshoot the movie mm-hmm. because when that happened, they didn't want to air it with that. That, that, that. That's true. So yeah, it's been almost ten years since uh, yeah it came out. Well, we have another exciting movie in the works. So Miles, you brought this to my attention, and uh, go ahead, take it away. Well, when I first heard this, I thought, what? I mean, another '80s rehash. But then uh, I saw the trailer, I thought this may actually be good. Uh, so A-Team, the movie, uh, will be coming out this summer. Uh, there's A-Team trailer Is out. it this summer? Yeah, this summer is coming out. Wow, so it's something to look forward to. Right. Uh, a group of Iraq war veterans looks to clear the name with the U.S. military who suspect the foreman of committing a crime for which they are framed. Bradley plays Lieutenant uh, Templeton Faceman Peck. Liam Neeson takes on the role of uh, Colonel John Hannibal Smith. And, and Charlto Copley is Captain Howlin' Man Murdoch, and Quentin Jackson plays B.A. Baracus. Great. So who's Mr. T? Which one is Mr. T? Quentin Jackson. So some of these guys, I, I, I mean, everybody knows who Liam Neeson is. He's just been right. in, almost, in almost every movie ever made. Uh, seemed to last uh, 10, 15 years. Right. But, uh, uh, these other guys playing the other roles uh, are, are new to me. A little bit newer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the trailer looked good. I didn't actually get to watch the trailer yet. I will have to when I'm editing this down. And the trailer looks good. Uh, when on IMDb, I did notice that um, the original actors who played uh, Face and uh, Howling Man Murdoch are looks like they're going to make cameos in it. Oh, that'll be awesome! Mm-hmm. Well, hey, this is going to be a perfect. This is like a GI Joe movie mm-hmm. for the summer. Perfect to go see in the theaters. It may not be the best movie, but it, it should be a good action, feel good movie for the summer. Hey. We need something where we can blow the hell out of stuff. We need to blow stuff up, and uh, we just need to feel good at the at, at, in two hours after we see it. Absolutely, absolutely here. All right. Well, let's move into our DVD news. Miles, this first DVD set, we were excited about, weren't we? You were watching Defying Gravity, or didn't you actually get to watch it? I have to confess, I didn't get a chance you to didn't. watch it. I love Defying Gravity, mm-hmm. and I was so sad when after F eight episodes, they cut it off. 
We actually never got a chance to finish it here in the U.S., mm-hmm. even though our good Canadian friends did, because mm-hmm. it aired on the Space Channel or some, whatever they call it up okay. there. And finally, we are getting the opportunity to watch it, because you can now buy it on DVD, the complete first season, for thirty six forty nine. So that's kind of cool. Now, just so you know, the premise, if, you, if you've if you never watched a show, the premise is it follows the adventures of eight astronauts on board an international spacecraft called Antares, and the next, and it's the next ambitious manned space mission after a Mars landing. The lives of the astronauts are being constantly recorded and broadcast back to Earth, both as part of an ongoing documentary and as part of the mission monitoring. In spite of the... The libido uh, suppressing device worn by each crew member, referred to as Halo for hormone activated libido oppressors, romantic entanglements develop among the crew members. Uh, further complicating their lives is a mysterious storage pod which contains something referred to as Beta, which is exerting as an, it, which is exerting an impact on their mission. So this is this show has been sometimes referred to as Grey's Anatomy in space, mm-hmm. um, but. It was in, it was an interesting premise. Uh, uh, I know that a slice of sci-fi. These guys were really into it. I loved it, and I watched every episode that aired up till the final one that they actually showed here in the U.S. And so I can't wait to watch them again. They're now on my Netflix, and I'm I might buy them depending on how good they are. Yeah, I, now that's come out. I mean, I I, I do want to check this show out. Maybe in the summer when the glut of all our winter shows have kind of passed, huh? Sounds like sounds good. Sounds good. Anyways, it's four discs in this running time five seventy eight as far as minutes go, and that's it for this disc. And you can buy that, of course, through our store at mysci-fi-store dot com. We haven't touted that for a while. No, we haven't. But uh, that store still exists, and you're more than welcome to come and buy it through that. All right, well, go ahead, take us away with our last DVD. In our last DVD, it's called a uh, Gamer. Available on Blu-ray for $23.99. Uh, Gerard Butler stars as uh, Cable, condemned criminal, and globally famous uh, super soldier in the ultimate multiplayer game. Slayers, human controllers, direct each thought and move of real-life prison inmates battling in a hyper-intense environment where the goal is uh, freedom and the penalty is death. But when Cable suddenly decides he wants out, his rebellious... His rebellion threatens the twisted plans of uh, game creator Ken Castle, uh, Michael C. Hall from TV's uh, Dexter, who will stop at nothing to crush the renegade commando in this taut, adrenaline-packed action thriller. So did you see Gamer when it came out? I have not. I didn't. It came out in September, and there there were a couple other things coming out that time, and I never got to the theaters to see it. Mm -hmm. It is on my Netflix list to see. It's gotten kind of mediocre reviews. Uh, a lot of people like it, and I've had some people that don't. And I know that Hearn watched and said, eh, it's a good, entertaining movie. If you want to buy this movie, please visit MySciFiStore.com. You'll get a good discount on it. We have the Blu-ray and the regular, even though the Blu-ray was the one that we kind of talked about here. Mm-hmm. It's probably a good sci-fi. If you are a sci-fi collector, it's probably a good one to put into your collection. Mm-hmm. Not one that I'm probably going to own. No. I may rent it and just for you know something that's be good for good entertainment, you know, good good action, but good you know, action. and apparently for a moderate budget, mm-hmm. you know, that was some people's complaint that they could have spent maybe some more money on it, mm. but eh, I don't know. Here we are trying to sell this DVD, but I, to be honest, it's not it's not one that I'm going to own, but one I'll probably watch. Me too. So, and if you have seen it, if you guys have been listening, have seen it, watched it, and want to give your thoughts on it, please let us know. But mm-hmm. that's it. Well. Well, we got to cut here and go to our uh, our interview. But before we do, 
I just want to put a plug in for, for Kevin Batchelder's podcast, uh, not just his, there's a bunch of other people that do it, the Scape Cask. Um, and we're just going to play a promo here, and you can hear um, as they talk about Farscape. In a world where we wait for a new Farscape series, one small crew sends out a beacon of hope to scapers everywhere. Hi, this is Ben Brown. Hi, I'm Claudia Black. Hi, I'm David Franklin. Hi, this is Rayleigh Hill. Hi, this is Paul Goddard. Hi, I'm Gigi Edgley, and you're listening to Escape Cast. Hi, everyone. Attention. Last time in our hero's journey. La, la, la. Well, you are, she says, as she's knocking John out with her rifle. I'm Wendy Hembrock with the news. Yeah, baby, it's time once again. My word. Amen. L-M-N-O-P. You know, I'm tired of these mother frilly things on my mother frilly Leviathan. Holy Cannoli. I'll feed the vampire slayer. We'll be dead. Oh, no. You can find the Skatecast at skatecast.org. Every time I think that there's more to you than a pair of pushed-up loomers and a corset. If only we had some way to keep up our stamina. Naughty mist. Does Mummy know you're here? Oh, no. Mummy doesn't. No. Here's a rematch, Crichton. What a lovely fantasy of family reconciliation. Where's your neck? Shut up. The Skatecast, your guide to the wonders of Farscape. Good evening, listeners. I am delighted and honored to be introducing uh, best-selling author uh, David Allen Mack, writer of one of the popular, writer of many popular and best-selling Star, uh, Star Trek novels that are on the market today, as well as uh, writing uh, genre series novels such as uh, the Wolverine story Road and Bones, and the 4400 story uh, That Being Promises Broken. This past year, uh, Mr. Mack has penned his own fictional novel, The Calling, which is available at Borders and Amazon.com, which Mr. Mack has a page devoted to the books that he has written. Not only has uh, David Mack contributed to the sci-fi world in written word, he has also done so for television and independent films, having co-written two episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine with John Ordover and wrote the script for the independent film Ashes. For a more complete list of uh, David's work, uh, visit his website, uh, www.infinitydog.com. Dot com. Uh, David, welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you, Miles. Glad to be here. Um, first question I have for you, Dave. When we had Dayton Ward on, I asked him this, and uh, so I'd like to fire this one at you. As a Star Trek fan, I, I hate that sometimes in the shows, in the Star Trek shows, they'll often leave a lot of loose ends and may never follow up on a past show. However, as a reader of the Star Trek novels, I love the fact that you, the authors, will often pick up on those loose ends and follow up on what happened before. What often happens is, for, for, for me, is a very enjoyable book. As a Star Trek author, uh, how do you feel about this? Uh, much as you do, I see the loose ends and unanswered questions and sometimes even what people might regard as contradictions or mistakes of the episodes or movies as a gold mine. Uh, waiting to be exploited. Uh, a lot of times these are story possibilities. Anything that makes you look at the episode or movie you've just watched and say, well, wait a minute, why did he do that? And what did he mean by that? And what was that line about? Well, that's a story waiting to happen. And when you make your living filling in the gaps in the, uh, the fictional universe, those things are uh, basically a godsend. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm actually pulling some of those threads right now. I, uh, just before we started, I was watching, re-watching, I should say, a couple of episodes from Star Trek Deep Space Nine that directly relate to the book I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a lot of fun to sort of go back 
and rewatch those episodes and, and get the flavor and, and the dialogue back in my head. Yeah, d- just from what I could see, I, I just finished the novel The Romulan Wars recently, and I don't remember the author's name, but it seems like he's trying to harmonize between Enterprise and uh, the original series more in that book, I noticed. Yeah, that was Michael Martin's work. Mm-hmm. Which uh, enjoyed it, by the way. Uh, another question I have, um, now that there are no Star Trek TV series going on right now and no movies being made in the uh, old universe, how much freedom as an author do you have? Um, this is a couple-part question. Can you promote somebody to a higher rank? Can you have two known uh, characters get together romantically? Uh, can you kill off a major character? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> Really? Uh, in fact, we, we've actually done almost all of these things to one degree or another in the books, uh, particularly those that relate to the Next Generation era stuff, the Deep Space Nine era stuff, and beyond. Um, the biggest example, of course, being the books that take place in the time period after the movie Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, we've done a great deal of work, the editors and the authors, uh, coordinating with each other uh, to basically have a coherent uh, continuity between all the books, between Voyager, Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, and also some of the new literary original series in that time period, such as Titan, uh, to a lesser degree, New Frontier. Um, and although it's set in a different time frame, we're actually working very hard to make sure that Vanguard, which is a series I developed with editor Marco Palmieri, uh, stays consistent in terms of continuity with not only the original series during which uh, time it is set, but also with the later TV series, the movies, and the later literary series. And we're beginning to tie together narrative threads from Vanguard set in the 23rd century with the other series uh, in the books set in the 24th century. Uh, and that's actually very exciting to see that coming together after several years of planning. Yeah. Now I notice. Uh, I noticed looking at your. Um, I noticed looking at your your pages that a lot of your books seem to be written in the next generation universe. Even though I mean you've delved into others. Did, did you? Is the next generation? Is that your favorite series? No, not really. Not really. Deep Just, Space Nine was my favorite series. Okay, Deep Space Nine was. Yeah. Uh, although I mean, my my books are actually pretty fairly spread around. Uh, the Star Trek universe. I, I've covered a lot of different ground. Obviously, the Vanguard stuff is set during the original series era, and I've written three of those now. Uh, in the Mirror Universe stuff, I've written uh, the Spock story in Glass Empires, um, and that was TOS era. So, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, no, I guess a lot of the other stuff was TNG era, come to think of it. The SE stuff and the DS9 stuff, that's all sort of contemporaneous. Um, so, oh, cool. but, uh, I mean, obviously I'm biased. I, I contributed to episodes of Deep Space Nine, but that's not why I love DS9. What I love about DS9 was the darkness, the complexity of the storylines, the fact that it was willing for one of the first times, really, I could remember in Star Trek to show us flawed protagonists to show us Starfleet characters who, although they strove to be better, were still flawed, were still struggling with very real human problems, with human temptations, uh, and with human failings. And, and I think that, in a way, it was more noble and more heroic to see people who are not perfect 
but who nonetheless strive to be better than they are. I think in some ways for me that was dramatically more interesting than what I often saw in NextGen, which was people who were always better than us and were very smug about it and did not seem <laughs> to struggle to achieve that moral uh, grounding. Uh, and I feel like very often they were handed this utopia and they didn't really appreciate it because nobody ever had to bleed for it. Mm. And in Deep Space Nine, people had to bleed to preserve utopia. And sometimes to preserve a utopia, you have to do things which are not utopic. Uh, true. I very think true. one of the, the, the episodes of Deep Space Nine, that, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think probably Deep Space, Deep Space Nine is probably my favorite, too. Uh, a Pale Moonlight, I think, is, is, is a phenomenal episode. Um, is that the, that's one where Cisco gets the uh, Romulans involved in the war. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a you know uh, a really good one. Um, uh, next question I have for you: uh, the new Star Trek movie this past year. Did you like it? And will you be writing any novels in what is now being called the JJ verse? Uh, yes, I did. I thought the movie was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I have said before uh, to others, uh, both in print and uh, in person, the movie does not always work on an intellectual level. Its internal logic is sometimes a bit screwy. Uh, events are a bit convenient. Its science makes no sense whatsoever. But you know what? On an emotional level, the movie really works. And I have to admit that as a viewer, it grabbed me by the heart right from the end of the opening sequence when George Kirk, you know, takes the Kelvin and does what he has to do. And the last thing he does in life is name his son. There's just something very profound and very emotional about that. And it's deeply manipulative. And I'm fully aware of the fact that I was being manipulated as it happened. And yet it was so effective and so well done that I was like, all right, I'm in, I'm along for the ride. Uh, and, uh, it's it's obviously a very different interpretation uh, of the Star Trek mythos, but I think it was a lot of fun. I think that it's more true to the original concept and to the characters than a lot of people uh, seem to think it is. As for whether uh, I'd be working on projects based on it, the answer is yes. I've actually already finished writing and editing. Uh, did I finish writing? Yes, I did. I finished writing and I finished the copy edit on a book called More Beautiful Than Death, which is based on this new version of the Star Trek continuity. Oh, cool. And that book, that book will be out this August. Excellent. Awesome. So unfortunately, we won't see that book at uh, Farpoint Con then. At Farpoint, no. At Farpoint, uh, I will have really nothing new between uh, Sorrows of Empire, which just came out a few weeks ago, um, and Farpoint. However, I will be announcing something at Farpoint, which I cannot talk about right now because it has not been officially announced to the public yet, but there, I will have a big announcement coming at Farpoint. Ooh, well, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, so am I. I've been waiting months to break this. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, you know, uh, we look forward to, uh, we'll look forward to meeting you again at Farpoint because I think we're planning to be there as well. Will you guys be recording any uh, segments at Farpoint? Yeah, sure. We, we, we're at least in a plan. We're planning to get in as press, so we'll see what happens. So That'd be great. I'd look forward to sitting down, maybe having another chat with you guys in person at Farpoint. Yeah. It'd be yeah. a lot of fun. That will, that will be a lot of fun. Now, um, I wanted to ask you as a writer, how? I mean, you pump out a fair amount of novels uh, each year, it seems like. Uh, I try how, to write three to four, yeah. Three to four. And how long does it 
Have you ever ta- – I mean, it varies from novel, but on average, how long does it take you to put together a Star Trek novel? From the point where my outline is approved and I am greenlit by the licensor and the editor to go forward to manuscript to the point where I usually finish the manuscript and turn it in is about 90 days. Wow. Maybe a little more. It might be a little longer. It might be a little 100 days. I've written them in less time. It's sometimes taken me longer. Uh, I've gotten quicker. Uh, at the process as I've gone along. Uh, when I first started out, I think my first short novel, Wildfire, altogether took me about seven months to wow. write. Um, and that was my first time working solo uh, on a form of prose. Um, whereas, you know, I think one of my longest works, in fact, my longest single work, Reap the Whirlwind, which clocks in at around 125,000 words, I figured out that I wrote that book in 88 days. Wow. So, and that was while holding down a full-time job and, and and doing a bunch of other things. Now I'm a full-time writer, and for some reason I can't seem to get my budding gear to do anything. <laughs> um, you know, basically procrastination expands to fill available time is the problem here. Um, but, you know, it, the average tends to work out. I, I can usually, once I get my mind to it, I can usually get a novel out in about three months. Uh, and that average is held even though I now do this full-time because – Usually while I'm writing one book, I'm writing a proposal or a detailed outline for another book. I'm editing yet another book that's further along in production. I'm looking at proofs for a book that's, you know, further ahead of that. Uh, and I'm usually also, you know, uh, beating the bushes trying to scare up new work beyond the project that I have coming up after whatever I'm writing now. And then when I'm not doing that, uh, you know, and running the rest of my life, uh, into the ground, he says. Um, I'm, I, I'm basically I, I fill the rest of my waking hours, and in fact, I fill some of the hours I should be using to write uh, with my current obsession, which is the shore leave comedy roast, uh, which we <laughs> produce, which we produce to benefit the American Red Cross, but which, as my wife has rightly pointed out, is my obsession. <laughs> oh man. Well, I know that Miles certainly enjoyed that this past year. So. That was that was funny. <laughs> so. Well, I hope you managed to make it to to this year's. We're roasting Michael Jan Friedman, another veteran Star Trek author, uh, and we're going to have basically most of the same people as last year. We're going to be back on stage this year. Mike will be in the hot seat, and uh, we're going to have another Star Trek author uh, flying out from Wisconsin to join us. That'll be Ilsa J. Beck. Will he? Will Michael Jan Friedman be sitting in the Captain Kirk chair? Uh, no, we don't want to do the same gag over again. We're going to do all new gags. Okay. Oh, good. Different sight gags, different props, different theme. Um, basically, we're going to try and keep this fresh every year so it's a, a fresh entertainment event. Oh, good. Well we, 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 well, we have been invited back to Shore Leave, so we'll probably see you there as well. So. And and uh, we'll have more to talk about at that point as well. Yeah, I'm oh, sure. Definitely. I certainly, at least I hope we'll have more <laughs> to talk about. Miles, you have some other questions here. Sure. Um in the uh, Next Generation era, uh, the Destiny series um, was, was – I know you authored it, but was it your idea to basically have an origin story of the Borg and then have them almost destroy all life in the Alpha Quadrant? Um, this, this set of stories definitely shakes everything up. Um, in, in the answer story. to your question is yes. Essentially, what I was brought in to do when I was first approached by the editors – uh, they brought me out to lunch, and they showed me the book Ships of the Line. They flipped it open to the image of the Columbia crashed in the sand on a desert planet. And they said, what we want you to do is can you craft – what we want to know is can you craft an epic trilogy 
based on this image? Can you take this as a starting point and come up with a trilogy? And I said, yes, I can, because I'm not a fool. And when someone offers you a three-book deal, <laughs> you always say, yes, I can. So I went away and I thought about all sorts of different things, you know, all sorts of different scenarios that could have led to that ship winding up in the Gamma Quadrant, yada, 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 yada. And what I eventually came away with after I looked at all of the recent Next Generation books published uh, in the post-Nemesis era, and what I saw was that some of the other authors, J.M. Dillard, uh, Peter David, uh, among others, had all sort of dealt with this Borg thing. They'd brought the Borg back from the shadows, and it brought them front and center. And I was like, well, if you really want to do something epic, you've got to deal with this 800-pound gorilla you've let back out of the cage. You you can't put the Borg back front and center like that and then just sweep it back under the rug. If you really want to shake things up, then the way to do it is to let the monster out and deal with it once and for all. So what I proposed was that we take on a bigger storyline that they had planned originally, which was the Borg. And we had actually argued about numerous ideas. We had shot down several of each other's ideas going back and forth. There were a lot of aborted storylines, a lot of concepts that were sort of vaguely interesting and science fictional and sort of out there, crazy science ideas, but which just didn't seem dramatic enough to drive an epic trilogy, specifically something that they wanted to be a big media event. And then finally I came to them and I pitched them the Borg thing and both the editors sort of said, are you really sure you want to do that? Because we've just, you know, we've already got Borg novels coming up with Peter David and with uh, J.M. Dillard. Are you really sure you want to go down the Borg route? And I said, if we do it big enough and we do it bad enough and we put the nail in the coffin the fans will forgive us in the long run for going back to the Borg. Well, they'll forgive us if we do it right. And for me, doing it right meant uh, death, destruction, worlds of flame, uh, billions of casualties, and a complete realignment, basically, of the political uh, 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 and a complete realignment of the political scene surrounding the Federation. Uh, basically, they get destabilized. They've lost a lot of Starfleet. So in the era post-Destiny, what we're going to see is a Starfleet uh, and a Federation that for the first time in over a century really has to fight uh, and struggle to stay even with its neighbors, its rivals, its competitors. Uh, they're going to be challenged in a way they haven't been in a long time. And I think, again, it's that sort of challenge that is at the heart of drama. Uh, so... That was uh, that. That was how we sort of came to this whole destiny concept. Now, now you mentioned uh, as you mentioned destiny. One of our listeners said, uh, Joe asked, "Is there any possibility of pitching the novels like Vanguard or the Destiny trilogy as an animated CGI special or something like that?" No, probably not. Uh, it's not. I'm not really in a position to do that, and. It wouldn't really be up to me anyway. Uh, the reality is that when you work for a property such as Star Trek or any other licensed property, let's say Star Wars, or in you know so to go to some of the stuff I've done, 4400, Wolverine, yada yada yada, the writer of a tie-in book does not own it once it's done. I get paid to write it. I'm contractually entitled to credit on the cover and on the title page. And because the publisher and the licensor are nice about this sort of thing, in theory, I get royalties if the book earns a certain amount of money over a certain amount of time. But the reality is 
that's not my property. That Once the book is written, it is the property of the people who paid me to write it. It's a process called work for hire. Mm. And CBS Television owns Star Trek Vanguard lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> they can exploit it any way they want, in any medium they want, any format they want. They don't have to ask my permission. It doesn't belong to me. It's mm. not mine. Uh, I would not get paid. However, under the Writers Guild rules, I probably would get credit as the creator of the original literary material. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, let's say, you know, a couple years down the road, let's say it's uh, 2018 or whatever, J.J. Abrams and his crew have finished up the third of their uh, their films or whatever, and they've decided they're not going to go back to the well. But CBS says, well, you know, interest in Star Trek is even bigger than ever. The movies have made crap loads of money. Let's do something bold and different. Let's make a Showtime cable original series where all bets are off. We don't have to play by FCC rules anymore. Let's do a darker, edgier, uh, you know, take yet another stab at Star Trek in the original series era. And someone goes, well, you know, we we do own this series of Vanguard books, and there's a lot of material there. We could probably get five seasons of a show out of those books. Someone goes, hey, that's not bad. So they let's say they do it. Well, they wouldn't have to pay me. They wouldn't have to pay Dayton. They wouldn't have to pay Kevin. They wouldn't have to pay the editors uh, who help you know uh, oversee the books. They wouldn't have to pay Marco or Margaret or Jamie Costas. Now, none of us would get paid. However, if they did use any of the material from the books under guild rules, they probably would have to say you know based on the novels uh, by David Mack, Dayton Ward, and Kevin Dilmore. Oh. And if they use the Mirror Universe stuff, they might have to acknowledge James Swallow. Not, that doesn't mean any of us get paid, but we might at least be entitled to some credit. Right, which might in turn give you uh, sell you some books. It might help me sell some books, uh, you know, which is always a welcome thing. And if it got me a job on the writing staff of the show, well, then then I would be getting paid, and that would be lovely. <laughs> but that's too much to hope for. And the reality is that because TV costs so much to make, and the people who make it don't want to split the pie any more ways than they have to. If there is ever going to be another Star Trek TV series or even a series of specials or miniseries or made-for-TV movies or whatever you want to think of, they're probably not going to base it on any of the books, and they're probably not going to call those of us who wrote the books because the people who get to make that next TV series are going to want to have their names as you know big and prominent and uncluttered on the screen as possible. So they're not going to want to be sharing credit with us, and they're going to want to have their names big and, and solo on the screen, and they're going to want to get all the money. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say probably do not hold your breath waiting for Vanguard <laughs> or Destiny or Star Trek or, or you know, Starfleet Corps of Engineers. Don't waste your time waiting for any of these to become a TV series. If you, if you have to see something of mine made into a TV series, please buy lots of copies of my original novel, The Calling, Uh, The more copies that sells, uh, the better chance I will have of ever writing an original book again, at least under my own name. Uh, And the better it does, the better the chance that it will be made into a TV series. Mm -hmm. And that is something I would like to say because that I will get paid for. (laughs) That I do own. Awesome. Now, tell me about the is tell me about the process of writing the calling versus the the process of writing your tie-in novels. I mean, you're creating an entirely new world there. Well, not an entirely new world per se. I mean, there's a new scenario. It's set in the modern world that we know. Okay. Uh, the premise of the calling is essentially that 
behind the scenes of the world that we live in, there are people who have the sort of supernatural uh, role in life. And we learn about this through the point of view of our main character, Tom Nash. Tom Nash is an ordinary guy. He's about 33, blue-collar, handyman. He lives in a small town in rural Pennsylvania. The one thing that sort of makes him interesting is that since he was about 16 years old, he sometimes hears when other people pray for help. Now, he doesn't know why, doesn't know why him, doesn't know how, doesn't know why he hears this person but not that person. He doesn't control who he hears, what he hears, or when he hears it. All he knows is when he hears someone's prayer for help, he feels a compulsion to seek them out and to do something about it. And he doesn't know what that's going to be until he gets there and sees the situation on the ground and he has to make a judgment call. Now, all of his life it's been small-town stuff, local stuff, never anything too dangerous. But then one night, you know, while he's, he's laying in bed next to his wife, who's nine months pregnant and three weeks from her due date, he gets woken out of a sound sleep by a prayer from a little girl a hundred miles away in New York City. It's seven words that will haunt him for the rest of his life. Please, God, don't let them kill me. He doesn't know who she is, doesn't know who they are. All he knows is five in the morning, he's got to say goodbye to the wife and his dog, pack up his truck, and drive off to New York City. Within 24 hours, he's caught up in a mess between corrupt New York City cops, Russian mobsters, supernatural bad guys he didn't know existed, and then he finds out he's part of a war between heaven and hell that he didn't even know was going on. That's just the first 70 pages. After that, bloodshed and mayhem ensue. <laughs> so a really good a really good movie. That's what I'm hoping. I think it would make a great feature film, and I think it would make a wonderful television series. Oh. Uh, I kind of see the guy who plays the sheriff on Eureka. I think he'd be great as the, as the lead in this. He sounds Craig, like Craig he, Ferguson. Yeah, he sounds like he'd be a good one for that. Or is it Colin Ferguson? I think it's Colin Ferguson, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not, which one? Which one is the talk show host? Which one is the guy on the TV show? Man, I don't know. I, I watched I watched Eureka sporadically. So you would think I would know this. I love Eureka. <laughs> it's probably Colin Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I I, I like Eureka. I, I just haven't. I just don't. There's so many good TV shows out there. I don't have time to watch uh, yeah. them all. So. Well, I love Eureka. I love Warehouse 13. Those are oh, two yeah. of my favorite shows on <laughs> Sci-Fi. Um, so I love The Big Bang Theory. I just name check those guys in both uh, the latest Vanguard book and in my Mirror Universe book. Oh, awesome. <laughs> oh. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Miles, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. But before we do that, we have the Sci-Fi 5 and 5. We do. And I thought, um, how about the top five movies of the last decade? I think that'd be great. And so you're going to give them to us this week, at least your top this five. Is, yeah, this is what I think would be my, what, I, what I think I like the best. Uh, and remember, time. this is totally opinion. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Miles, what Miles says is God. So you, you have to take it as it's, it's gospel. Yep, it is. And uh, so if you disagree with them, I'm sorry. A lightning may strike. Yeah, you know, so I wouldn't say that verbally. No, if you have your own sci fi five and five, and especially any movies, TV shows, or whatever, send them on in. Miles, go ahead. Let's hear your sci fi five and five. Well, on, on reflection, uh, I th- th- this would be in a particular order. I'm going to start number five. Uh, probably put Avatar as my number five top uh, sci fi movie. Uh, great movie, um, uh, probably visually the most uh, and, and is the most impressive movie I've ever seen. Uh, next one, uh, Star Wars: uh, Revenge of the Sith. 
not a big fan of the of the new trilogy, but I thought the third one was really good. Uh, I thought did a pretty good job of uh, wrapping things up and harmonizing. The third one was excellent, especially if you read the book. I believe Michael Stover wrote it. It was great, but it was it were Matthew Stover maybe. Okay. A phenomenal novelization, and if you read that, then watched the movie, just made it all better. Anyways, yeah, it felt it felt like it was it was more harmonizing between that and the and the original trilogy. Uh, third one, Serenity. Uh, they didn't spend a lot of money on this film, but it great. Forty thousand bucks, I think. For, for, 40, oh, forty million. Forty, 40 million, million, which is nothing today when no. it comes to movies. Um, but if you if you love the Firefly show, you got to see Serenity. Um, next one, uh, Batman Begins. Um, you know, just bringing back the Batman franchise in the movies. Uh, excellent place to get started with. I, and and for me, uh, Star Trek. The new Star Trek movie uh, this past year was uh, probably my favorite movie the last ten years. Yeah, well, that absolutely it was a good it was a good way to reboot the franchise. That's for sure. It was yeah, it was. Well, thank you for your sci-fi five and five miles. You're very welcome. Yes, and again, if you too have a sci-fi five and five that you want to share with us, just uh, just send that in on into the Sci-Fi Diner podcast at gmail dot com. You can also call it in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, or you can send it as an as an audio attachment in Twitter to the Sci-Fi Diner. And um, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Miles, as we wrap the show, where can they find you if they want to contact you and harass you? Um, I can be found at Twitter, uh, Son of Wharf at Twitter. And let me also uh, give a plug for our, uh, our Facebook fan page. It's uh, the Sci-Fi Diner uh, podcast, uh, uh, our fan page there. we have some, So join us there. So on Facebook, right? On Facebook, yes. Yeah. And uh, also I'm, I have a Trekspace account, uh, Son of Wharf at Trekspace. Yeah, and if you want to find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, you can visit the Sci-Fi Diner podcast dot com, and that will dot com, and that will also give you the um, information for the fan page as well. Mm-hmm. You follow me on Twitter as well. My Twitter handle is Dayton Ward, so you can obviously send all harassing emails to him. Yes, he'll, he'll and if you want it. to send any nice stuff, you can send them to me at Herzog. <laughs> H e r t z o g. Dane's gonna hate me for this, but uh, yeah. Any 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 spam followers, go ahead, follow Dayton, not mm-hmm. me. But uh, and uh, we have the the store, the email, the phone number. We gave all that out. Let's wrap up the show and get out of here, Miles. Okay. Well, till next time. Good night and good luck. See ya. 